It's not mine. It's not. Go back inside and call an ambulance right now. Go! survived. You don't come out the other side of something like this weaker. What is there left to be scared of? This is the last of them. How did that get in there? I swear I threw it out. Things must have got mixed up. There, she fits right in. is a ghost. Sometimes demons can attach themselves to objects. What do I do? Protect your family. Hey, everybody, and welcome to The Pod and the Pendulum, the podcast that covers all horror movie franchises, one movie in one episode at a time. I'm here with my, I am your host, Mike Snoonian, here with my now, am I allowed to say fully vaccinated or do we not want Go that? Go off, say it. My fully vaccinated co-host, <laughs> Lindsay Travis. Lindsay, how are we? I am good. Mentally, uh, knowing that it means I'm fully vaccinated makes this Vax flu mm-hmm. go down much easier. But you got hit with the Vax flu. <laughs> yeah. yeah I'm, right. a bit, I'm a bit sluggish, but you know what? I think we picked a good movie to be chatting while I'm sluggish because I know this one very well. And oh, it's... thank God. Yeah. Thank so... God. All right. But we have, <laughs> all movies. we have someone here to assist us. The... 
lovely co-host of the Bodies of Horror podcast, a podcast that looks at horror movies through the lens of disabilities and what that means in horror. Uh, we have Nicole Goble. Hello. How are we? I am doing well. Thank you so much for like stepping up. I have been awful about getting guests lately because I just, I don't like asking people. I get like nervous because it's almost like when you're in high school and you're like, do you want to date me? And they're like, no, I heard no a lot in high school. Uh, But you know, I did all right. But you know, if it was, I wouldn't be batting champ if I played baseball, but you know, solid utility player. Okay. Anyway. I am awful about asking ghosts. I am awful about asking guests if they want to come on and join the show. Ghost guests. Ghost guests would be very hard to get. But Nicole was like, I love this movie. And just a little message, like, why don't you jump in? How are we doing? I already asked that. I already asked that. Sorry. It's been a day, folks. It's been a day. So we're We're barreling towards the summer. We're in that last stretch. (sighs) Today was my last day of school. No work for two and a half months. Mike is a very happy man. I, oh. I actually texted a good friend of mine who, like, she's been a teacher 20 plus years. And I'm like, why did you never tell me that the last day of school is like a greater rush than heroin? Like, how did you not let me know this? Um, I would have done this years ago. And that's yeah. gone into education, not heroin. <laughs> um, and she was like, yeah, we like to keep that to ourselves. So, you know, keep the club. Kind of tight and small at that point. Keep it tight. All right. We are here to talk about the 2014 spinoff, the first movie in the Conjuring verse. This is like Iron Man 2 or the Incredible Hulk, really, of the Conjuring verse. It is. It is Annabelle. Oh, spooky, spooky doll. <laughs> so, Nicole, we'd like to ask, like, you know, when, whenever a guest comes on and says, like, hey, I'd love to talk about this movie, what first drew you into this movie? When did you first catch this and what drew you in? So I have seen all of the Conjuring films Mm. uh, officially in theaters. Um, And I have to say, like, I'm not a huge, I I wasn't a huge fan of the Conjuring. Mm -hmm. Um, The Conjuring universe isn't my favorite, but I love a creepy doll. Mm -hmm. Um, And I love Pippi Longstocking, and this doll gave me Pippi Longstocking feels. Okay. And so I was like, okay, this is, I'll, I'll check this out. Um, so no, I was really excited about it. Um, and yeah, I saw it in the theater, and I was flummoxed and continued to be so. As to why this is probably the second most detested a film of the Conjuring universe. Mm-hmm. What would be the first? The Curse of La Llorona? Yeah. Which I didn't mind. Which I actually don't mind that one. Right. But- I actually was thinking we should, um, on La Llorona, I know that there's like a huge divide as to whether or not it's mm-hmm. actually part of the universe. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I feel like that would be a good Patreon vote. Like, let them decide if we okay. cover it. <laughs> we can do that. Do we cover that or do we move on to the next we thing? Or the patrons? It. Yeah. Let the so, patrons decide if it's part of the canon. I we could like. have, like, I wonder if Brad and Matt feel as strongly about whether it's part of that universe Ooh. or not as they do about whether the Evil Dead 2 is a remake or a reboot. Oh, um, 
you know, and if they could come on and debate that, maybe like lay down their hot tracks for us for oh, that one. Indeed. I think that would be great. So, um, but what is it? So you mentioned like the Pippi Longstock. Did you have like Nicole growing up did, or anyone? Did anyone here have like a toy that creeped them out growing up? I was scared of my Furby for a good while. Okay. Um, I think the Gremlins like really messed me up as a kid. Um, and I love the Gremlins movies, but I remember specifically, like I used to think they were Gremlins hiding in my closet all the time. Mm-hmm. And so I got a Furby. I was like, hey, this is cool. Like, it's like the new hot thing that you can't get unless you're like all over it. And I was like really thrilled to be like one of the kids who got a Furby. Mm-hmm. And, um, I like liked it for a bit, but then it would like turn itself on and talk to you and it would learn your name. And the way it said my name sounded a lot like when it said hide and seek, it sounded like it was saying hi, Lindsay. Like it was Mm -hmm. hard to tell the difference between the two. So sometimes when you turned off the dark, like turned off the lights and it was dark, it would be like, I'm Furby hide and seek. And I'd be like, Oh my God. And it scared me so much. And uh, I hid it in my closet, which was like, Mm -hmm. so it would hide in there. But um, that's where I thought gremlins were. So it was, uh, yeah, it creeped me out. I have to say, I can't decide what is more disturbing, like a doll that would say your name or a doll that would say hide and seek. Like this doll randomly saying like hide and seek is something that is very, very terrifying. This is very scary. And it was like, I didn't know it was very difficult to distinguish between hi, Lindsay and hide and seek. Mm -hmm. And I did not like it. I'm sorry, Furby. I love you very much, and please don't come for me. Mm-hmm. Um, please do not. How, how about yourself, Nicole? Um, so, I mean, as cliche as it probably is, I had a Teddy Ruxpin, mm-hmm. and I loved Teddy until the day I decided to put my Stray Cats tape in the back of Teddy, and he went wild, and it gave me nightmares. Um because like his mouth will try to move mm-hmm. um, and I, yeah, it was just so creepy. Um, and so that scared me and I um, collected porcelain dolls mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. growing up. And so there was a shelf right above my bed. Um, as I kept getting them, we built this shelf that went completely around the room um, but there was one doll and my mom, it's the only doll that my mom still has out at home or at least did last time I was there. And it's three headed. Um, it's got three faces. And so you just turn it and it. Has oh, no. bad no. news. That's an absolutely not bad funny. news. Yeah. I don't like that. Do not no like way. it. <laughs> so, yeah, those were my those were my two. I didn't have a haunted doll. But I had, when I was in first grade, I got a record. And I think I can find it on YouTube. So I think someone uploaded the audio at some point. But it's a two-sided record. And it's like an interview. Like it's an interview with Frankenstein and on one side. And an interview with Dracula on the other side. And I remember like the end of the Dracula side. The person that is reporting like gets chased by a vampire and then eaten. And it has all the sound effects and everything. And it was terrifying. I remember like I listened to it and then had these horrific nightmares. And my dad was so angry at the the volume of these nightmares and just like the night terrors they were causing that I think he not only threw the record out, which was a smart move. He's like, you know what? You're not ready. 
for this, but I think he even like took the turntable away for a number of like weeks. Just like you can't even listen to the Beatles at this point, son. Um, you need less stimulation. So, you know, it was uh, to this day, like, I think I have found like, Oh, there's the audio of it. And I should listen to it just to see how, like, how did this scare me at age six? Right. No. But this um, is your, this is your yeah. Amityville about time where it's like, no, yes. I don't care to know. <laughs> I yes, don't you want don't want to know. Don't want to open that door. So, <laughs> all right. But we are here to open the door to Annabelle. We're here to talk a little bit about this movie. And it was a no-brainer that there was going to be more Conjuring movies after the success mm-hmm. of the first movie. Like, that movie comes on and makes $320 million internationally on, like, $20 million. Like, it just is a license to print money. And we know there's going to be a Conjuring 2 and I know that like James Wan and everyone involved in the movie will say we never really had a plan with Annabelle. Like, oh, it just happened to be that audiences really connected with her. But I'm sorry, like when you start your movie with like a prologue that is about the doll and then you specifically return to that motif I think like two times you're like, no, you're setting shit up. Like we know how (laughs) things work. You know that like there's a market and you saw later on, it was just, you know, with the nun that that was set up in the second movie. And I swear to God, like I haven't finished conjuring three yet, but there is like literally they're setting up like a legion of anti-Catholic doom in the conjuring (laughs) three. So like the next, Um, right? Yeah. I mean the Annabelle bit, it's funny. I yeah, like you don't know. I guess you kind of have to take them at their word as to whether or not they were setting up this uh, franchise with it. But I mean, Juan loves puppets and like mm-hmm. you know, Dead Silence. And I mean, like we talked about this, he goes by Creepy Puppet, yeah. Dead Silence, Jigsaw, or Billy the Puppet. Um, so it's kind of his bag. So you mm-hmm. kind of think like, yeah, Doll is definitely gonna be what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting, like where they go with this movie. I don't, I mean, we write about and we'll get into it, the real Annabelle and, and kind Mm -hmm. of what she was and what she is, but it's interesting, like where they took this doll in the prequel sequel spinoff and, and what they did with her. But I mean, she's scary as hell. How do you just ignore her? And we talked about it in the last episode. Like, I love what they throw at that, that the characters are like, I think she's just possessed by a ghost. And they're like, no Mm -hmm. objects don't get possessed. Um, the demons moving it around mm-hmm. like oh i love that still gives me chills yeah. it it continues that trend from 2009 really onward or it's like oh yeah like demons you know they don't leave like they don't leave an area like pretty much like if you get one if one finds you like it's going to be you know me and my shadow for the until it actually takes mm-hmm. you over so yeah, uh, it's um, why do we find dolls so creepy to begin with? Like, what do we think it is about dolls that we that can make them seem like so terrifying? I feel like it's their faces being really like blank and empty and immobile, but they always have this t- like look about them that like that face might move. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I wonder if it's combined with the fact that they are human looking. So it's not like a possessed, sorry. It's not like a possessed uh, lamp or something arbitrary. It's something that like is human ish. Maybe Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's my dog. Um, 
Is shaking he, out his big giant ears. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I don't know. I wonder if it's that. I don't know. What do you two think? Yeah, I mean, I think it's the almost uncanny valley-ness mm. of it. Um, because I think you're exactly right. It's They have an expression that's supposed to mimic an emotion, but there's nothing there. Yes. Um, and so it's really... It's, you know, you take a look at it and it looks happy, but then you look at it for more than two seconds and you're like, I don't know, there's nothing. I think that even like, because the expression never changes, but depending on a person's mood, they might think that expression means different things. And it almost feels like the doll is always silently passing judgment on you (laughs) um, and your actions that makes it such a disturbing it's such a disturbing thing. Like I know like for my wedding anniversary one year, my wife had a um, personalized Muppet created for me. So it had like a beard and a hoodie, you know, pretty much the staples of like me. Um, But like even that, like seeing the Muppet every on the top of the shelf, like every now and then it was like, I don't know, man. It seems a little. Is this thing gonna? Is this thing gonna take me over? Is this gonna try to replace me someday? So, did y'all? It, did you all grow up with uh, Goosebumps? And are you afraid of the dark? Um, I was just a little bit too old for those. Although I did watch some. Are you afraid of the dark? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I grew up with the Goosebumps. And- okay, and I mean, I guess he was also on the cover of the books. But uh, is it Slappy? Slappy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had the dummy. You yeah. did have it? Yeah. yeah. Night of the Dummy, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, um, yeah. Slappy, I was never, I was, like, creeped out enough by him, um, but my brother, like, had a zero Slappy tolerance. Mm-hmm. Um, any mention of Slappy was, like, <laughs> we were losing a week. Like, he was okay. just, just, it was just a hard no and absolutely not for him. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Dolls there creepy. you go. Yeah. So, Bringing the creeps this time around, you have director uh, John Leonetti. So prior to this movie, not exactly like the most distinguished career as a director. Like before this, his two credits behind the camera were um, The Butterfly Effect 2 and Mortal uh, Mortal Kombat 2 Annihilation. Um, So... You know, it's one of those things where you hear that and you're like, this is not exactly the person I would think was going to help kind of be the next step in launching this massive franchise. But um, when you look deeper into his career, like as a cinematographer, he had been behind a number of hits starting in the early 90s, like Child's Play 3, Hot Shots 2, The Mask, uh, which helped launch Jim Carrey's career, uh, Spy Hard, Joe Dirt, Scorpion King. So he had done a ton of stuff. What's funny is there's a lot of sequels in his work, but more importantly, he was the cinematographer for one in Insidious, Insidious 2, as well as the first Conjuring movie. So it was kind of like a chance to be like, okay, we want to just get someone that knows the look of... When you watch Annabelle, it has the look of The Conjuring and the feel and the tone of The Conjuring movies, but feels a little bit removed from it as well. Um, But you wanted something that was going to know the look, wasn't going to... I don't want to say not swing for the fences, but wasn't like, no, I need to put my stamp on this. And it's a very interesting 
way because it's not a direct sequel to the conjuring but they still want it to exist within that universe and make everything look like recognizable right and i think he had also what i found really interesting so you know him having uh, worked as a cinematographer for juan um before he had also worked as a cinematographer for i think the first mortal Kombat movie um Mm -hmm. in the 90s so he, you know, his, I guess, big directorial films, he was actually coming, you know, to a pure with the franchise, um, mm-hmm. which I find really interesting um, because I think, you know, a lot of people who work behind the camera do that, where it's, you know, they're staying true to the people that they work with mm-hmm. and the properties that they're aligned to. But um yeah, it, I and plus I think he had done like a seventeen-year break uh, between um, Mortal Kombat and this. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, he had worked like a lot in the years in between. Um, he kind of like really had been one of those guys that just like movie a year, basically, with like maybe late nineties or was like a couple years between spy hard and Detroit rock city, which underrated movie like Detroit rock city is a lot of fun. Um, Detroit rock city. Yeah. I (laughs) strong recommend. Um, but he's just one of those guys that you would not necessarily think a ton about, but he had done like, he had done a hell of a lot. Um, and again, like you said, like in terms of launching franchises, like he had been right at the cusp for a few of them. Uh, but I think it was that loyalty to Juan that maybe got him this gig. But this was written by, so Gary Doberman, the writer of this movie, um, it feels like he owes his career to the Conjuring movies. Like besides this, he's the writer of Annabelle, The Nun, The Curse of La Llorona, Annabelle Comes Home. Um, so he, aside from really like the conjuring main movies, he is the guy they like hire to kind of write all of the side stories, all of the things that are kind of teed up for him to go to. Um, and he's the writer of it chapter one and chapter two. Although I think like he basically took Carrie Fukunaga's script and removed all the things that made it really, I don't want to say it really made it special. Like it was one of those things where like it would have been like Stan Uris as a goldfish uh, and not an actual person like Pennywise eating a baby. Um, just like some really dark shit in there. And he was like, OK, I can be the guy that makes this movie a de- palatable for 17 to 44 year olds that don't necessarily want to go on a Friday night and see Stan Uris as a goldfish in tiny babies eating. Like, you know, we're in for a lot, but. We're not into the eating babies. We're just not um, into eating. That's the yeah. That's the line. But I think it's like, I, am I wrong? Is there a, a pretty dramatic drop in quality from it chapter one to two? Like I feel like there is. I didn't see the second one. Okay. Um, I think we talked about this. Maybe not. Um, I'm very scared of it. I've never seen the mm-hmm. original. I've like tried to watch mm-hmm. it three, four times and just never like I press play and like three seconds later, I'm like, nope, can't do it. Okay. Um, very afraid of it. So I actually saw the first one in theaters or the like the reboot or remake or mm-hmm. new whatever you want to call it uh, in theaters. Um, but I was 
I was a few drinks in and someone mm-hmm. was like, we're all seeing it. And if you want to hang out with us tonight, that's what you're going to do. And I watched it and I didn't like it very much. So I just was like, I'm not going to watch the second mm-hmm. one. There you go. <laughs> no one can make you and your friends can't make you. Look, <laughs> there you go. we don't, we don't have to give in to peer pressure. You, your own person. <laughs> no, I, you know what? It's like, I don't want to. There's so much like, no. this is a tangent, but I feel mm-hmm. like there's so much like pressure especially if you're part of like a fandom or in a franchise like see everything Mm -hmm. it's like no i'm not going to like it wasn't some massive protest that i never saw justice league i just was like i don't think i'm gonna watch it yeah i don't want to and i won't um so when your friends took you to this movie did you Mm -hmm. do the thing where you like crossed your arms and like scowled and like if they offered you popcorn you're like no or you're like Um, you know like i'll sit here but i'm not gonna like it and you're not gonna like it either um well, I went, uh, well, I hope my friends don't listen to this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, what are the odds they're going to hear? Well, who knows? Maybe I'll lose I a friend today. I would like um, to think people listen yeah, to they this. Might, most of my friends do. This is, yeah, I'll tread lightly. I went with a couple of friends. I was excited to see. And one of our friend's sisters, who is just like the person who like knows how to get under your skin is kind mm. of her thing. And so I was like at an event for work and I'd had a few drinks and I didn't want to go home, um, but I didn't want to hang out with work people anymore. Um, just, you know, whatever. And so my friends like, we're at the theater. It's like a 10 minute walk. Just you know, get over here. So I walked over there and then I was like met with the sister that I was just like not expecting to see. And I was already like not ready to see it. And like immediately out the gate, she threw something right at my face. Like she just has this way about her, you know, where she says something that makes your whole body hurt. Like we're just like, yeah. no, um, so she did that immediately out the gate. And I was like, I am being accosted at every angle. I was like, I was having a nice drink at a nice mm. patio. And now here I am seeing Pennywise the Clown getting a by her sister. <laughs> um, so it was fun. I went out and grabbed a whiskey and brought it to the movie. And I mm. enjoyed that instead Excellent. of uh, talking about it. But uh, Excellent. Yeah, that's my it story. Sorry but, to my friends. Sorry to my yeah. friends, Sister. I hope you're not a podcast listener. Uh, <laughs> what if she is? What if she you wrote that three star review? You know what? <laughs> Maybe she does. And if that's the case, um, a credit to her for that like incredible ability to get under people's skin immediately because it must be very mm-hmm. difficult to do. And also, truly, I do like her and like hanging out with her, but she just and finds does, that way. <laughs> does she pick out weaknesses? Like, does she size yeah. people up and are like, there's your weakness? Yeah. The example, the one that night was, um, uh, let's see. I'm trying to think of a good example. Um, she'll say things like, um, oh my gosh, I love your lipstick. I wanted to wear lipstick tonight too, but I know you don't like when people steal your spotlight. Wow. And you're like, what? What? Spotlight. (laughs) And you're like, always, it's like all these, it's like a compliment, but all of a sudden it's like all these implications that like, you're, you're like a spotlight stealer and that, I'm like, why would I, everyone can wear lipstick? I don't own lipstick. Like what? Right. Um, you know, those or, things. Or if she like wore the lipstick, you know, like she would be, all the eyes would be on her. Like let's, let's know who the real star is. Here, right. so. Like, yeah. Like you're right. just like, what? Um, yeah. And I don't, I truly, it's a skill that I could not fathom. Right. Like I can't even imagine it. So yeah. a testament to her quick intelligence. Cause it's something I could not do. Love it. Love it. Yeah. Nicole, which of your friend siblings would you like to trash? <laughs> I feel so bad. I'm like, oh God. I, to be honest, I, I, they're all pretty chill. Yeah. None, you know? none of them are, are that, uh, I guess, kind of backhanded. Yeah. That's cold. Yeah. So cold. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
cold-blooded <laughs> anyway. i'm like oh man i'm like i hope this my is... friends don't listen to my podcast that's a really nice thing to think i'll get um... the you need to cut this part out of the show can you go back and <laughs> yeah, cut yeah. It's, sorry it's already posted it's all done can't <laughs> well, i meant like, to cut my relationships it. my relationships yes, are ruined there we go. Um... so but this is a long way of going to saying that like gary doberman like he's okay I would say like he is like the five guys burgers of horror. Like it's good, but it's not necessarily going to like knock you out of your seat. Mm-hmm. Um, but he did his directorial debut uh, debut is Annabelle comes home, which I think is not only the best of like the three Annabelle movies, but mm-hmm. might be it's near if it's not at, it is like near the top of the series. Like I found that one delightful. That's funny. I really like Annabelle Comes Home too, but I thought that people liked Annabelle Creation much more. Really? Yeah, hmm. maybe not. Maybe that's incorrect. Well, you know what? Um, as we, we all have know, a... I do not like rankings, so maybe. Yeah. yeah, but I don't know. Yeah, I. Uh... How would you rank your friend's siblings? <laughs> <laughs> Number one is the one yes. I mentioned because she's okay. she's around. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. She hangs out with us. And she's mm-hmm. around, and like that's more than you could say about most of your friends' mm-hmm. siblings, I think. There you go. Okay. Yeah, my yeah. sister, like, yeah, we, that's a whole story you get into. We'll save that for the patrons. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, my sister is my sister is lovely. I kid. Like, she is a lovely woman. I love my niece and nephew, and can't wait to see them again in the great state of Maine very soon. Ah. As they rule. Oh. Um, Two more. Anyway, so I can see my nephew safely. Woo. Um, <laughs> So yes. doll design, yes, doll itself doll design. designed by North Carolina prop maker uh, Tony Rosen. After like basically, I think Juan and the producers had about ten different designs. Like obviously, we'll talk about the real Annabelle a little bit, but it was uh, basically a Raggedy Ann doll, and they're like, we cannot pay for the licensing. Nor would I think that Raggedy Ann would have been like, oh, you want to make a movie about three movies about killer dolls um sure here you go yeah we'll give you that we'll give you that licensing deal for a fucking song right now so i am curious your your opinions because aside from like obviously it's a licensed character Mm -hmm. or licensable character i guess um she's very like not scary looking and the annabelle doll is decidedly incredibly scary looking Mm -hmm. And I'm curious if you think that it would be more or less scary with a more or less scary looking doll. Does that make sense? Like, yes. is an unassuming is doll. It, yeah. More if it just scary? if it just looked like a Raggedy Ann doll or something like generic, mm-hmm. would it look? Would it be? Because we found like this. Like we we I watched this movie with my wife. Like we were just sitting on the couch relaxing. She sat and watched it. And at the end of the movie. Um, when the grandmother buys it, she's like, look, the least realistic thing about this movie is that anybody would buy this doll as a gift for their granddaughter and be like, this is what she wants. Like she wants this like dirty scuffed up, um, bloody doll that looks like it will absolutely bite your face off. Like, yeah, that is what my granddaughter wants right now. It's horrifying. Yeah. I'm curious if, if you, you are a, a Twitter mm-hmm. user who listens to this episode is very specific. Reply to the tweet of the episode mm-hmm. and tell us if you think it'd be more or less scary. So we'll start with you, Nicole. What do you think of the design and what do you think makes it work? If um, you think it works. Yeah. I obviously, I think it works a lot more than a raggedy Ann. Um, I think that one of the things that, especially as it's used um, in Annabelle, 
is that you it, it gets that wear and tear mm-hmm. um and you know obviously they get it back after it's been thrown out and it's got the little scuff marks on it it's looking a little dirty and they don't clean it um just let it chill and it's filth and yeah that's um i i think it really works the thing that really also i think emphasizes how creepy this doll is is when she gets this doll and to complete the set of three annabelle looks nothing like the other two mm-hmm. the other two look like weird dolls but annabelle looks like of a completely different yeah. like realm so I don't, that's like how, how you wouldn't cue into that to be like, mm-hmm. you know what, this doesn't complete the set. This ruins the set because yeah. this doll <laughs> is going to kill all yeah. the other ones. Yeah, she's big. Yeah. She's very big, Annabelle. I do like um, in the like design of it, how they try to justify why she's so creepy looking. Because that's the thing from the first one is you're like, well, this doll's a nightmare. Mm-hmm. Like, no one's buying this doll. But in this movie, they're very much like, well, you know, she's an expensive rare item. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, that's why. And mm-hmm. then when they throw her out, that's what makes her get beaten up. Yeah. She actually looks pretty clean when she arrives. But yep. I don't know. She Mike, looks, what she, do you think? She looks like the little girl from the bad seed to me. Okay. Like when I see her yeah. when she's in her cleaned up state, like she looks like that child a little bit. Um and I guess you can see, like, before the shit goes down, why someone would collect. Because, like, I mean, I just find dolls, like, especially, like, porcelain dolls, like, incredibly creepy to begin with. Um, I have, like, a friend, like, they were married, like, she was married to a woman that collected them. And there were, like, hundreds of them. And you would see, yeah, like, I think that might have been one of the reasons they're not together anymore. Because... Mm-hmm imagine like sleeping in that house with hundreds of these this army of like little killers <laughs> so anyway it is so it's she to me like looks like the oh my God. it's literally it's a plot point in seinfeld like it's literally a gag oh, yeah. with a hip mm-hmm. <laughs> oh. the one that looks like george's mom the doll that looks like george's mom and it She's starts like talking priceless. to him <laughs> but she, Georgie! she like, all her doll mm-hmm. She moves all her dolls into his apartment. And he's like, what the hell is this? And then after uh, after she dies, here's a quick Seinfeld recap for a minute. Um, after she dies and they're like going through the price of her assets, like we'll start with Susan's doll collection, estimated value 2.2 million. <laughs> <laughs> oh. And then the guy's like, let's do this doll by doll. Um, Love it. Funny. I think we need a Seinfeld recap podcast. <laughs> I Love can do it. that. Oh no my prep God. work required. Greatest, greatest sitcom of all time. Yeah. No um, prep required. Um, but but yeah. I find this, yeah. I would say like you can see maybe why from the collector's like standpoint. Um, and I do like as you see it get dirtier and more scuffed up. And again, like they do like a great job of just make, even though this doll doesn't really do anything for the course of the movie, like at that almost makes it even more disturbing. The fact that it's just sitting there judging you silently this whole time. Um, I feel like that's what works so well about um, 
a lot of doll things. Like Slappy like runs around, which is what makes it kind of funny. Mm-hmm. As when you got a character like Annabelle, it's much more about her moving when you're not looking. Yep. Um, which is awesome. And I feel like a very good setup for why the boy worked so well. Um, but, uh, no spoiler. Um, <laughs> it's a good setup for why the boy works so well. And then, um, although there is that scene where you do see Annabelle move, you do yeah. see her move in that, like when she's sitting in the rocking chair. Yeah. Well, and she, you see her. It's levit- picked up. Yeah. Oh yeah. What am I talking yeah. about? She totally levitates. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Nicole. Good. And you have that great. Blink if you miss it shot. You have a great like blink or if you miss it shot of like the demon like right behind her face, like mm-hmm. positioned so well right yeah. behind. That's one of the better moments of the the movie right there. But a little yeah. more on the um, little more. And this is from an article on all things. Uh, all that's interesting dot com uh, inside the real Annabelle dolls. True story of terror published in October of 2019 by Katie Serena. Um, goes a little bit into the history and in all honesty, like we went pretty hard and I know we're going to go harder on like the Warrens and conjuring two and conjuring three in terms of like how involved were they and what's fact and what's fiction. Um, it is interesting seeing some of the quote unquote discourse as the third movie has come out. Uh, and people seem to be way more invested in, in, shouting from the rooftops like well these guys were cranks and like yeah we we get it um this is almost like in terms of the story of the doll like the most accurate thing in the whole series like yes like the grandmother actually did buy this doll and gave it to her uh, granddaughter who was a nurse um and a lot of the weird things that they saw like in this in the um first conjuring movie like annabelle says miss me on the writing this one, I think it was like more help me. Like there would be mm-hmm. parchment paper, which that to me is like way more fucked up. And then the dude, the boyfriend in the of the two nurses, or one of the nurses, I don't I don't want to assume they were in some sort of triad, like especially given the conjuring movies are super conservative when it comes to stuff like that. So they would be like his name was Lou, and there'd be notes like help Lou, uh, which I'm out at that point. I'm sorry. Like, I don't care. I don't. Can I be a little bit risque for a minute right here? I don't care if your vagina shoots rainbows out of it, you know, or if you like fart Skittles. Like if my wife farted Skittles, but she brought home a doll that left notes like help Mike, we would not be together anymore. How would that doll would be so quickly into the fire i can't even tell you like but i think that if my wife brought it home even right i would so quite have like so many fundamental questions about her judgment and values that i'd be like it's been a good run anyway tomorrow's our 15 year wedding anniversary (laughs) because she does not have any creepy dolls she does not susan ross the, Um. the idea of like help help Lou like that is and he's like yeah I would be like taking a nap at the house and he would feel like a searing pain on his chest and find like quote unquote bloody claw marks across it Um, I'm going to guess maybe Lou wasn't faithful and maybe his side piece left marks and she's a little rough and he's like no baby like it's not I'm faithful and true to you, baby. Like, I would never cheat. It's the doll. The doll's <laughs> attacking me. You've cracked the case wide open, Mike. You know? So. Maybe, it was, maybe it was 
the other nurse. Like maybe there you go. It, it was all like those two working together yep. against the girlfriend, so that yeah. she would be completely off the trail. Yeah, kind of perfect. I like the equal parts petty, mm. but creative. I yeah. like yeah. that. Yeah. Like so that. she. She, you know that maybe the nurse like i saw him first at the bar and it's like a single white female type thing going on yeah maybe. so anyway lou if you're out there because right now you'd be in your you might be because you might just be in your 70s like lou if you're listening if you're googling like annabelle and you come across a show like drop us a note let us know the real deal we'll keep point. it confidential yeah, well, I think the enough water has probably passed under the bridge, yeah. like the, you know, so they could let us know. But anyway, from the article, following Lou's traumatic experience, the women invited a medium over to help solve their seemingly paranormal problem. The medium held a seance and told the woman the doll was inhabited by the spirit of a deceased seven-year-old named Annabelle Higgins, whose body had been found years earlier on the site where their apartment building had been built the medium claimed the spirit was benevolent and simply wanted to be loved and cared for the two young nurses reportedly felt bad for the spirit so again all from the first um all from the first conjuring movie the lorraines eventually enter the um picture lorraine walks in and says oh this is the most haunted apartment i've ever been in like is you know she would walk into like a Taco Bell and it was like the most <laughs> haunted Taco Bell of all time. Like Belair the Chalupa. Um, it's like not a Chalupa, it's a ch- ch- Chalupa Cabra. Someone help okay. me out here. Let's do this. We're so, I have a pitch, Blumhouse. I have a pitch. Chalupa Cabra. Um. Excellent. <laughs> That's what Lorraine would see in everything she walked in. Yes. They take the doll eventually, put it in their case and charge like... 50 cents ahead to come in and like, don't anyone ever open this case up, you know, and it's a haunted doll. So, you know, God love them wherever they are in the afterlife. God love them. You know, Lorraine, I believe is kicking. No, she passed in 2019. Right. Recently, recently. You are correct. Um, yeah, they had, I mean, the real Annabelle was truly behind glass. The Positively Do Not Open is not a film fabrication that mm. is um, truly there. Um, and it did get blessed by a priest daily. Mm. It was so yep. malevolent. Um, I love that. I absolutely, what carnival barkers. Like, that's the best. Like, every day a priest comes by and blesses his doll just in case. Like, why not just burn it? I want to, well, because they believe that, I think, I'm not um, 100% on this, so don't don't uh, cite me in any uh, academic papers, but I'm pretty confident that it's because it was like, the fear is that it will just move to another. Mm-hmm. Okay, that makes sense, sure. Yeah. Right. For what they would say. Lorraine has a quote saying that, you know, true evil can't be destroyed. You right. just have to be village, like, diligent to keep it at bay but it yeah. can't be destroyed which is why they kept it in the case. a thin glass case yeah um, no, for, it's a glass case made from like vatican windows oh pope mobile stuff pope mobile stuff yeah, okay. yeah. i like do you think they had extra of the dolls just in case like it ever went missing or fell apart 
they could like remove it and then put in a new one or like this is the real annabelle the receipts like sticking off the tag or sticking oh, off the back of it locked up positively do okay. not open yeah okay she cannot get okay. out all right well the movie follows the couple john and tia form like a newly married couple tia is pregnant and John is going into his like fellowship as a doctor. Like he's basically his residency as a doctor. So he's basically going to be gone long hours. Um, they befriend like a lovely, like middle-aged couple, like next door to them, this quiet little, like, I think it's Pasadena, like quiet little mm-hmm. suburbs of Pasadena. Everything seems fantastic until one night. Um, and it was funny, like in minutes before this, it's kind of like, again, like with Gary Doberman, sometimes his writing is really obvious. Like, I know, like, he takes the the Hitchcockian idea of like, if you show or Chekhov's gun, gu- Chekhov's gum, he takes the idea of Chekhov's gun way too far. Where in the span of 30 seconds, he's like, oh, the couple next door, like their daughter's not dead. She probably joined a hippie commune and... Jeez, you know, like that hippie commune, they're probably killers. And she has a crazy boyfriend. And later on that night, we're going to watch like what's on TV, like Charles Manson. Um, So it's kind of takes that idea and hammers the audience over the head with it. Um, But they're not wrong. Like what happens is like the uh, daughter breaks into the older couple's home with her boyfriend. They murder him and then break into John and Tia's home um she kills herself the uh annabelle the older commune person and the blood from her transfers her evil into annabelle what do we think of like the setup for this movie and really john and tia as a perfectly blandly attractive like white couple in the early 1970s i so I really like the opening mm-hmm. um, because you, you know, one of the things that people really like about, uh, you know, the Warrens is this very white Christian heteronormative mm-hmm. chaste but loving couple. Mm-hmm. Um, and you get that in this film with uh, John and Mia and, what is interesting, I think, too, is that this really, with Conjuring 3, it's really hitting in on the satanic panic kind of mm. at the height. Um, but this is actually, like, coming in at the beginning, mm-hmm. where you were having, like, the Manson family um, and kind of the the beginning of that trend and that fear. And so... I really like it. I love the way that it's, um, you know, even the nice moments in the church, there's this sense of foreboding Mm -hmm. and, you know, the fact that she's pregnant. I mean, it's very, it's all kind of a homage of sorts Mm -hmm. to Rosemary's baby too. But I, I really like the setup. You're definitely supposed to draw parallels like Mia and Sharon Tate. Uh, I mean, that's definitely something that you're supposed to do, especially where she's like stabbed in the belly at one point uh, during the break in. So you're deaf. That's it's very evocative of that. Um, And you're right. Like basically like John and Mia, they make up like the very 
Warren-esque, like basic, nice couple that are very into each other and very chaste. And, you know, like it's the height, it's like post Woodstock height of rock and roll height of the British invasion. And they're listening to like the absolutely, you know, your parents, like, you know, mm-hmm. singer songwriter stuff, like, you know, like the rock and roll, the revolution is never like hit this couple at all. Right. Um, I, you know, what I found like really interesting was like this kind of tension that exists between the two of them, where at one point before the stuff goes down, John is like, you know, I don't know, like we, we just bought, got this house and, you know, you're pregnant and now I'm starting this residency. Like, man, it's going to be really hard for me. Like this whole thing is like really hard. And like, you can see how that hits his wife in the worst way. Like she Mm -hmm. is not digging that comment. Yeah. It's very like everything that you two just said exactly about the traditional family and these stories. I mean, the conjuring stories are all pretty quote conservative. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, this one's no different. And they're very much the traditional family doing things as you'd expect. They bought the home. They're the young couple. They're pregnant and he's starting as a dog. It's like very, very, uh, of that vein and it just pokes enough at like um those very real concerns that arise from those types of dynamics and why you know they don't work for a lot of people and the same old like oh they'll ball and chain and i'm working late but i gotta get home to the mm-hmm. kid and it definitely plays to that yeah. um yeah and it's only when he's like i should do something nice for my wife i'll buy her a present that he buys her yeah. a haunted doll named annabelle yeah. um who's arguably not yet haunted but I don't think you're meant to think that she is. I know, and I know that yeah. goes against like the prequel to this movie, which will come later. Right. I actually like that. I like that, like you know, between these movies, there is a different version of what mm-hmm. is behind Annabelle being kind of haunted. Because mm-hmm. um, I think that's the way a lot of folklore works. Like, no, actually, it's this, and the the larger pieces kind of fit together. But there's enough like enough of a difference in the detail there where it can uh, rather than having everything straight up explained. I really like that. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, I think it fits, too, with kind of the religious aspects of it, which is, you know, these are stories that are passed down and they get twisted and contorted like playing telephone. And so I think the lore of Annabelle um, fits that because you're right, like the bigger pieces you can kind of like squeeze together and like kind of work Mm. but um you know i always just kind of picture these stories as well this is what so-and-so you know said about what really happened and this was the origin um but yeah it's i i think that this film does a really good job at um you know setting up or i don't want to say setting up because we had the conjuring before mm-hmm. it, but I think it's, you know, if there's, there's never a break to what I think this universe is about, which is, you know, this love found in kind of religious, um, I guess, constraints, um, is what wins, um, consistently because, you know, when Mia starts, having all these experiences um you know john isn't like well let's figure it out let's get some 
some help, let's go to a psychiatrist or a doctor. Um, if, if he's worried, it's let's bring in a priest because that's what worked for my parents. Mm-hmm. Religion and faith is the answer. So I think that, you know, it, it, even though the Warrens play essentially no role um, in this film, that, you know, that theme yeah. is very much there. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And it's an issue like what you just said there with like, no, don't call like a psychologist or a psychiatrist, like go to a priest. Like it's an issue that, you know, and I'm not going to make it the focal point of any of the episodes, but I'll just kind of hammer it home. Like the thing with each of these movies where they're so unwavering in believing that like pushing the supernatural angle, which I get it's a supernatural movie. But like there's even The Exorcist, like perhaps like the greatest possession movie of all time. Like there's a reason why, even though you may not feel like it's the scariest movie ever, there's a reason why marketing always goes back to the scariest movie since The Exorcist. Mm -hmm. You have in that movie great like to me the scariest bits of that movie are like regan getting the spinal tap like the mom going to the doctors and fighting with the doctors and the psychologist would you please listen to me like that's terrifying as a parent that feeling of helplessness that you cannot and it's i can say from experience like not knowing what is wrong with someone you love is the scariest thing in the whole world right and i think that in all of the Conjuring stories, it comes down to those, you know, the people in peril don't mm. want to experience that. So they automatically turn to faith um, or the Warrens is kind of the piece of that um, because they don't want to experience that helplessness mm-hmm. at all. They don't want to go through that experience. Like I, I 100% agree about the exorcist. Like to me, th- those are the scenes that will always stick with me um, is her, you know, getting those tests done. Um, and you don't have that in these films. There's never that, let's go to a doctor. Let's go, you know, let's exhaust some other options mm-hmm. before we turn to this because we don't have any um, kind of, we, we don't even have kind of the tangential idea that this is what it could be. And that's mm-hmm. what kind of surprises me, especially in Annabelle, is that I don't really understand why they necessarily don't. No possession right away now obviously they went through the experience with you know the doll being part of the suicide and so you know they they can put one and one together i guess there but yeah it's just it's a really interesting um kind of way but because we have this setup in the beginning i think it for me works a little bit more mm-hmm. because I'm like, oh yeah, like this is this is a thing that actually did happen and mm-hmm. not actually happened via the Warrens. Right. Um so you can kind of extrapolate that a little bit. Um so I think putting that faith sheen on it kind of works a little bit in that regard. Mm-hmm. I think what w- works too with those opening moments, um this was a period of time where like all of a sudden there's a tremendous amount of white flight from cities. So you're starting to see like the rise of the suburbs and this idea like, Oh, cities are like 
crime infested because like the wrong people are moving in and, you know, we need to um, have like a safe space at that point. And what you have is like this beautiful tree line, like couldn't be a more gorgeous neighborhood. Like I remember like just watching the early part of going like, I love the architecture here. Like these homes are beautiful. Um, And still there's no escape from it. Like that, you know, evil can lurk right outside your door. And I think it's like telling that like the older couple, like they're killed by the daughter that had left them like a couple years ago. And that like most violence that you see committed, you know, the statistics will point that I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but most violence that is committed is usually by someone, you know, Uh, it's usually not going to be like a random burglary. And what's interesting about, you know, this movie is when, the haunting starts in that home and they're like, look, we can't be in here anymore. Um, they immediately return to the city and they return to like a smaller, Oh, that apartment is like ridiculously huge. It's gorgeous. Very jealous. I thought it was beautiful, but they're in like a more constricted area. And one of the things that we'll talk more in depth, especially as we get into the end of this movie, like, John and Mia expect like the only two characters of color to kind of like help them clean up their mess at that point. Like a lot of the heavy lifting is done by like Father Perez and also by a character like Evelyn that's introduced. Like they have to actually help this like, you know, very nice, like, but, you know, very kind of bland, like white couple, like, all right, you brought this mess to our doorstep and I guess we'll take the bullet for you and help you Mm -hmm. figure it out. Yeah, it's the conservative Christian family that are scared of the hippies. Mm-hmm. Um, they even like they make the point of saying some hippie cult, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then it is the hippie hippies that murder them, um, right. and then uh, yeah, haunt them, and then yes, exactly, they move back to the city, which hell yeah, and then uh, yeah. yeah, the characters of color do all their heavy lifting for them. Yeah. <laughs> well, and what's interesting too about I mean. Obviously, we'll talk, I think, more about the problems with uh, the character of Evelyn. Mm -hmm. But one thing in my most recent rewatch that I noticed that I hadn't noticed before, and I think this ties right into this theme, is that for as tight and instantly as tight as Evelyn and Mia become, um, you know, because you have Mia that's kind of slowly just kind of losing it a a bit and is kind of giving in to all of this panic and fear. Um, But yet she trusts this woman, like, hold my baby, do this, that, and we don't really have a lot of scenes of them, like, building this relationship. Mm -hmm. The first scene that we honestly um, kind of get all of them together is when I think John is going to work. They're all outside their building and Mia seems like freaked out mm-hmm. by Evelyn, and I, I was like, "Oh, that's that's kind of it's it's an interesting thing to introduce because it goes back into that white panic and um, of you know, well, we we're away now from our insulated community, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, it's." I, the way that they use kind of these neighborhoods and the environment that the family is in is really, really interesting. Yeah. 
And what's interesting, because, you know, Evelyn's a stranger. So, I mean, you can see, like, just in general, like, new young mom. Like, you're going to be a little more on guard no matter who you're around. But there's that scene with the two children on the stairwell, which they're never revisited again. I found pretty interesting. You never see them again. And Mia is, like, trying to chat up, like, the little girl and boy. And the boy is like, you're a stranger, stranger danger. You Mm -hmm. don't talk. And every time the girl tries to talk, He's like, mom told us, like, don't talk to strangers, like, knock it off. And Mia is automatically like, no, I'm safe to talk to. And even then she's like, you're right. Your mom is very right. You shouldn't talk to strangers. Anyway, do you live above us? Like, whoa, you're acting, you're asking some awfully specific, like, what are my names? Where do I live? Like, what would be the best seasoning to put on me, you, if I was going to cook you in my oven? You know, just like it's definitely one of those things where you're like, no, I'm safe. Like it's okay. Like kids, you don't have any reason to fear me. And then they have those awesome drawings of her pushing her baby into traffic. So, so spooky. Love. I thought, and I loved how that scene plays out. She's like, Oh, like this little girl left me a drawing. And then it's like, Oh, this little girl left me a drawing where my baby dies. And then gets hit <laughs> by yeah. a, hits by yeah. a truck. That's a, I do think that I know a lot of people don't think this is, you know, the scariest of them all, but I do think there are mm-hmm. a lot of really effective scares in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you talked about that drawing and then what ends up coming from that. I don't know. I'd be curious to hear like what uh, you all think. I love the basement elevator scare scene. Yes. It's so tense. Mm-hmm. And so every time like I watched it and I'm rewatching it to prep for this and as it was coming up like I felt that feeling of like mm-hmm. you know that like kind of sick feeling you sometimes get when you know something really scary is coming yep. I just was like oh god it's coming you can do this it's not that yeah. bad um, yeah I'm curious if you have any other scares you want to highlight well the elevator one works I think because it gets surreal like you mm-hmm. can hear you hear the elevator moving up and then it, like three times it stays on that floor and part of you is just like you run out of there. But the other part of you is like, well, that thing might jump out of anywhere. Maybe you're safer. And I kept waiting for the creature to kind of run at the elevator, but it never does, which I really like. Um, But I think that was great. The cult, like seeing the cult through the bedroom window of John and Mia, I thought that worked really well. Yes. Oh, so good. Yeah. Sorry. I, I just I wish things like that would get used more often because you have that it really taps into like being a voyeur. Like as I'm set up here out in my home office, like I have the window right in front of me so I can see people like walking their dog or going about their day. And there's just like something that is surreal about just looking out your window and seeing things that, you know, or knowing you're seeing people that you're not supposed to at that moment. But I thought then you're like, wait, did I just catch what I thought I caught? And then like that arterial spray of blood like works really well at that point. Yeah. Yeah. I love that scare. What about you? I, I agree. I think both of those are really excellent. The one scene that always gets me and it, there's not, a payoff to it but mm-hmm. the lead-in always gets me is the crib with the doll mm-hmm. and you get that moment where it you think that she's been out of it and she's actually been like slamming her baby mm-hmm. into the crib and you see the baby um but you don't actually see like the mangled 
baby, thankfully, yeah. I guess. But I, um, I like it got me this time still because I'm like, I know, I know how this plays out, but it's just that that fear of you know not only what we're gonna see, but then also like it's a really great moment where I think I think uh, Annabelle, who plays Mia, is. Uh, phenomenal in these moments because you truly get the full journey of her coming in and out of these visions, these hallucinations, these whatever, um, because she just has this look of shock and horror, mm-hmm. but still trying to figure out like, I what is going on, uh, where am I, and how what's around me that is real. So yeah. I that scene just. Me. And then, of course, the uh, little girl running. Uh, the yes. That gets me, too. Yeah, really effective. And I think, like, the... Um, I don't think any of the movies do anything that is, like, new and groundbreaking. Um, I do think... But I think when the scares they set up work, like, there's a reason why it's kind of a classic type of scare. Like, you know, and I, I know this is probably, like, at the bottom tier in terms of the franchise, in terms of what, and I'm not a huge conjuring um, series fan overall, but I would say like, this is a solid, like in a lot of movies, it's a solid, like two and a half, three star movie that is perfectly fine to kind of put on something spooky in the background uh, and get like some really creepy moments out of it. I think like the moment like that didn't like what I put in my notes, like kind of pedestrian in its nature, uh, or what maybe like workman like might be a more accurate phrase. Like they make kind of a big deal with the pictures that are drawn about at some point, you know, that carriage is going into the street and will there be a baby in it or will like a, a truck smash into it. And that happens like a truck smashes into the um, carriage, but like the mom had already taken the kid out and the only thing in there are some books, I believe but it's just like like Keanu mm-hmm. Reeves cans. It was just cans. Yeah. But it's just like it's it, it plays out and then it's over and then like it's never really addressed again. It's like, yep, we needed to include that moment in the movie because we had set it up earlier. But it just seems like so perfunctory that like nothing really comes of it. Yeah, we're not going to kill the baby, but we are going to no. use the scare. Well, yeah. I think that what if I it's interesting that you say that because i think it what would even have been more effective is if you know there were a couple of times where she was going out with Mm -hmm. leah with the carriage and there was like this green truck Mm -hmm. that just happened to drive by kind of that you know that kind of stalking uh force in the background that she never knows like well maybe i'll lose control of this carriage or this car will Mm -hmm. find the destination its way what if hear me out what if annabelle driving that truck i mean (laughs) would have been awesome would have been great all right so (laughs) she probably could she's tall she is tall she is like the andre the giant of dolls like she towers she's tall like you know, like Andre has a posse, like Annabelle has a posse, basically, is what yeah. I would say. Um, 
All right. So I think we're at that point where I want to talk about the ending of this movie because, oh my God, like I like watching this movie. I'm like, oh my God, the, you know, the magical Negro trope, like they really, holy shit. They dove head first, took the nasty plunge into it. So who wants to describe the end of this movie for me? Uh, sure. The end of this movie, essentially, um, what they learn and conclude about this demon is that it needs a human sacrifice. It needs a soul, um, which you think is going to be the baby, but it's actually Mia. Um, and so Evelyn basically offers herself up to die. Mm-hmm. Um, and she leaps out from the window. They save uh, Mia from doing the same. And then Evelyn leaps from the window to her death. Uh, to appease the demon mm-hmm. and then suddenly the priest is okay and everything's back to normal and it's a happy smiley ending. Sucks for a whole bunch of reasons. Um, the biggest, well, I guess I'd say the glaring ones for me are, uh, first of all, um, when she plunges, she's like, you know, the baby needs her mother. So it's very much, you know, your life is mm. more valuable since you're a mother, which is obviously mm. kind of junky. Um, and then... Uh, the other piece is that like, yeah, the, the black woman who helps her all along the way uh, dies for her to save her. And then in the end, it's like, and everyone was happy mm-hmm. <laughs> as if her, her life was just like super, super worthless, which uh, which is a bummer. I the the line about the daughter needing the mother, I actually took that as a realization on her part that mm. her daughter needed her. Oh, okay. I like that. Um, and so that is why she, uh, not to really make leaps and bounds to justify, you know, what, what is a very bad um, kind of designed trope. But um, I took it as that because I think it was, you know, I think that she had been struggling to kind of come to peace and being with Mia and Leah, I think she, you know, it was probably bringing up a lot of that. And, you know, I think it's, that's kind of why, like, the last third of the film really, I think, is hard because there's bits and pieces that if they would just push it a little bit further, if they would have, you know, actually given Evelyn more of a character... Um, and more of a background where we got to know more of her, where there was more relationship building between her and Mia. Mm -hmm. I think that could have at least made that more logical. Um, And instead it just is so just painful. Yeah, Um, that's actually, that's a really good read. And mm -hmm. I think, I think you're right. I think that's a, that's an apt and accurate yeah. read, and I agree. Like, yeah, if they just beefed that up a little bit, we might have had a very different reaction to it. Hello, listeners. It's Mike here, cutting into the show very quickly. Do you guessed it? Pitch the Patreon. Why? Because it's 2021, and every podcast has a Patreon. I promise, though, I will be very brief, and we'll get right back to the show. What do you get when you become a, a, a Patreon subscriber to the Pod of the Pendulum? Well, first of all, we believe in giving you more content, so every subscriber at every level gets access to at least one full-length bonus show a month, where Lindsay and I cover movies that we normally wouldn't get to during the course of the show, whether that be superhero films like Tim Burton's Batman 
Christmas horror like Krampus, uh, or whether it gets to be kind of the offshoots like we had like a couple extra Sam Raimi movies like Dark Man and Drag Me to Hell when we covered the Evil Dead. Um, on depending on the level you go with, you get additional content such as our three up where Lindsay and I make three recommendations on what we are watching, reading, listening to, the moment so you know it's kind of like your staff picks when you would go into the old school video store. Our goal is to add more content as the subscribers grow. That's going to be merch such as Pod and the Pendulum Pins, and also more content uh, such as like Zoom hangouts with your hosts, Q&As, things like that to help to build the community. So that's what you becoming a subscriber get. What does it do for the show? Well, first of all, it does help justify doing the show since it takes about 20 hours to put together a single episode. The money that you put into us, we invest back into the show. What we do with it is upgrade our equipment, but also buy the materials that we use to research and put together the best possible show for you. So without going on any longer, go to patreon.com slash pod and the pendulum today to become a subscriber. You can also click on the link in our notes. Thanks and back to the show. And Evelyn's whole character backstory is like, my daughter died because I was driving and was very tired and we got in an accident. Um, And look, like I make my living in trauma. Like trauma is literally what pays my mortgage. So... I don't want to say that That's I'm a gross oversimplification. <laughs> right. So I don't want to say that I'm pro trauma, like yay trauma, but you know, um, just say, you know, I traffic in it. Um, and I just feel like it's okay to have characters in movies that their whole backstory doesn't have to be like, and you know, let me tell you stranger, this is the worst thing that ever happened to me in my whole life. I'm going to tell you that, the first time we ever have a heart to heart with one another. Cause you're right, Nicole, like there is nothing. The only other thing she does is like, Hey, here's a book. Uh, Cause she owns like the local bookstore, which I thought it would have been hilarious. Like I, I turned to my wife, like it would have been really funny if like she hands her the book and like Mia walks off and like another person runs like, God damn it. You don't even work here. I've told you like, you cannot just come in and give away. You cannot come in and just give away our inventory. Like I thought that would be hilarious if that was her thing to like steal books and give them to strangers. Like that would have been great. But the movie misses an opportunity for like a really intense ending. And I think that kind of is if there's a flaw with like, think back to Insidious, which is like kind of the same similar team. Insidious ends with like your lead, two lead characters. One is possessed and the other, you know, has been strangled to death. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, holy shit, what a fucking ending that is. Like they killed Lin Shay, you monsters. This has an opportunity, like, oh my God, there's this, you know, beautiful young mom with her whole life ahead of her. And she is going to make that sad. That's a very intense ending. And I think that would bring, you know, like that would have, that's an opportunity there for something. But what they do is like, it feels like just so forced. And I think Lindsay raised a great point. It's not just that, you know, Evelyn is like, black but evelyn is also like oh well you're older for one so there's some ageism going on there but also you know i don't have a child anymore so really what purpose do i serve at this point and she's so willing to make that sacrifice and then 
I don't believe, and maybe I'm wrong, there's never a moment of reckoning after that. When you go to like the three months later portion of the movie, like they're just at church and they're like, what a lovely day and everything is great. And you're right. Our lives are super awesome. It's resolved. (laughs) Well, and it's interesting because there's almost, it's very similar to the scene, right? I think when they go back to church after the Higgins have been murdered Mm -hmm. and the priest starts to say like, you know, kind of referencing what happened because it's mm-hmm. horrific. And like, wow, you know how the couple that you would come to church with, how they're yeah. not here because they were brutally killed. And she's like, nope, I'm out of here. Yeah. This has been great. Thanks so much for taking the picture. Bye. Yeah. She doesn't want to deal with any of that. So nope. it, I, I think the ending with them not even really kind of recognizing mm-hmm. that strangely with her because she's like nope now we can just go on and ignore everything that has happened and everyone will be completely well adjusted and happy and they're like oh yeah did anyone find the doll no it wasn't there and there's never this like hey we actually maybe bear like a responsibility to like put an apb out and say this thing has some you know some bad energy they're like oh you mean it's gone awesome let's move on oh well you know um yeah and then i guess then we see kind of in this epilogue uh we see annabelle reach her final destination or her second Mm. final destination uh her her not final destination i guess um we see her end up with the nurses where the warrens meet her we see someone make the purchase of the annabelle doll and, and like to which at, my, at which point my wife turned to me and it was like, no one is buying that for their kid or their grandkid no. for their like, no, like that's a hard yeah. pass, you know, at that point but, she's beaten up. Right. But I think you said it perfectly earlier, you know, they are still really pushing this as like the rare um, limited edition, super collectible thing. Yeah. So I, yeah, you know, not everything that is one of a kind is True. not possessed. Yeah. Listen, you want your collection, you're going to get a demon every mm-hmm. now and again. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's just I, what it is. You know, I used to like sell electronics for a living. Um, and we would tell, like, oh, I can get, I found like the same pair of speakers, like a guy was selling it off the back of his van. And I'm like, look, do you really think they're the same speakers for like $40 out of the back of like some jabroni's van? You know, like, do you really feel like, honestly, if you feel that's the case, my friend, more be off, more Blessings. power to you. Good luck. you know, have, have, have a go at it. Um, <laughs> like if it's like this doll is like super collectible, like, oh, this doll is like a one of a kind. It just happens to be in like the snip and save like thrift store for four you know it's a little bit more expensive like what is it like four dollars compared to two at that point you know no he says he's gonna miss rent when he buys the original oh yeah then don't don't do that then by all means like i encourage all of my listeners out there like don't go without the necessities for a fucking doll (laughs) well and i mean obviously we know based off of creation 
um, that, yeah, it is a rare, mm-hmm. very rare, one-of-a-kind situation. But they don't know that um, because it's not a ra- – or we're not told really beyond just that throwaway line that they know that. It, see, this would have been – a thing to be like, oh yeah, it was you know so and so created the stall, and mm. there's only two. It's referenced, but you know, especially with uh, Mia being like, I want to complete the collection. Um, like, it, if you're gonna really convince people that this is something sought after and is going to go through multiple hands, despite all of the shenanigans that it gets up to. I think you really need, it would have been nice to put at least, you know, a little bit more of a fine point to it to be Mm -hmm. like, oh yeah, this person uh, created these four dolls and he died and now we're selling them. Now we're selling them. I'll leave you with this Annabelle anecdote as we, as we come to an end of this. Yes. Uh, Mm -hmm. um, They were promoting Annabelle. So Fan Expo, which is our Comic Con, which I've mentioned before, um, they have a horror section and they sometimes have little activations and I was a big conjuring fan and they were promoting Annabelle. And so they had an Annabelle doll in the box. Um, it was like very giant in this house. I'll post the photos. Uh, I will send the photos so we can post them. Mm-hmm. Um, and my friend and I, our friend Aaron and I went to uh, take photos. There's a huge lineup to take a photo with this Annabelle doll, the giant Annabelle doll. Uh, unbeknownst to us, the giant Annabelle doll was in fact a person uh, it was a big guy <laughs> dressed as Annabelle and oh he was waiting God. for about every 50 people to jump out so that um, if you were in the line waiting, you wouldn't know that that was maybe a possibility. Of course, he saw me coming hundred miles away uh, and chose me as his victim. And so um, the, uh, you know, you hand your phone to someone to take the picture and he's like lining it up and he's like, okay, get closer, get closer. And I'm like, okay. And I'm like holding my cup of coffee and my like, you know, comic book scarf feeling all whatever, posing with Annabelle. And uh, Annabelle gave me a huge like, and my uh, fight or flight instinct was I put my hand in his face. um, He being the guy dressed as Annabelle. Oh my God. My hand in his face and yelled, nah, bitch, no way. Um, That was my, that was my response to pure fear. Um, So there's like a picture of me. Uh, that I'll I'll find it with like my hand in Annabelle's face. Oh saying, man! Like, nah, bitch. Up to the hand. Oh, <laughs> yeah. fucking awesome. That's my reaction to fear. I was terrified, and he's very lucky. I was like holding a hot coffee. He's lucky mm. it did not end up all over like, him. Throw yeah. it in his face. Yeah, oh, man. hot coffee all from right. Deadly Grounds. Shout out to Deadly Grounds. <laughs> very good coffee. Um, so, there you go. So before we get to the audience feedback, do we have any last thoughts on this movie? Where do what are we? You know, we don't have to rank it. I know you don't love rankings, but, you know, (laughs) any overall final thoughts? I like this movie. I think it's fun. I think it has some good scares. I think it's a good haunted movie. I think uh, there's good scares in it. Like we talked about the window scare, the elevator scare. And I think one thing I really love is that they move. We always talk about they should move. They should throw the item out and they do move and they do throw the item away and it still haunts them. Mm-hmm. So ultimately I think it's pretty fun. Yeah. I, I like it, especially, you know, up until kind of that last bit, I think it's super solid um, with the acting. I think for a movie that does rely on a lot of jump scares, I think they're really well done. I like the music cues, the way that mm. these of them 
you know, is brought back in after she takes it off. Um, the way that they um, kind of set different shots up. Uh, one of my favorite shots in the entire movie is when Annabelle is in the rocking chair and she's rocking and you just get it at the feet. And it's so just oh. really subtle. Um, I think that it's it's really good. And I'm still like, yeah, the ending, it completely doesn't land. But I still don't think it's the worst. Yeah, it's fine. Like I would say, like in my review, it's like, it's fine. It's a movie. I watched it. It's fine. And that's okay. It's, it's okay <laughs> to be like a cheeseburger and fry type of movie like it's i think a good movie for someone who kind of likes scary movies but not too scary um kind of like horror movies but not too like a little bit of blood but not like a gore fest throughout um so i would say like it's it's fun for that overall i you know and i think like annabelle is a a character or kind of little horror icon like i get it um this went on it made like you know audiences even though critics kind of savaged the movie audiences ate it up like it made 257 million and change on like eight and a half million bucks for a budget like again we can like we can make these movies a little bit of money put a little bit into it because it's a period piece and more goes into that but they know the return is going to be massive so you just eventually you're going to get like conjuring endgame type levels of like the nun Annabelle and whoever the spooky, spooky lady is in conjuring three, they're going to have like their own anti justice league, the um, Legion of doom type of deal. Like, you know, it's coming. So Mm -hmm. I would, I would imagine we'd see more Annabelle. All right. We, we put the question out there just before we recorded. Um, you have sent oh dear <laughs> those are you can pop those in the twitter feed or whatever <laughs> all right we will definitely you're like f you you're latin you got that coffee look at that love it yeah the you can definitely tell that it's yeah love you it you think that but you know when you're there you can't tell it's a guy just sitting there not moving okay for like 20 minutes while you're in line okay that I is a skill there, it. right? Too that, and you look so happy. You because look I so laughed so hard when I realized that my survival instincts were to call Annabelle a bitch. Yeah, um, I realized that that was a very funny thing and laughed at myself. I wonder if he was upset. Like I, I'm not a bitch. I'm perfectly nice. I'm just he trying like to make really a... thought, and I'm he just... was right. Like he yeah. was like, "This is the girl we're gonna scare. This is the girl yeah. on the line that we're really gonna mess up." Yeah, um, but I wonder if he was like, "I'm just. Try- Why am I a bitch? I'm just yeah, trying to so make I'm a living. Just, doing just my trying job. to put food on the table. How dare you? How well, dare you? You are an enemy of the working class, Lindsay. Annabelle, <laughs> Annabelle's a bitch. Let's, so, let's be real. All right. So we posed the question: like, what was the most terrifying doll or toy that you had growing up? And we just put po- we had a couple nice responses here. So our friend uh, Nat Bremar at Nat Bremar at Twitter.com, who's wonderful writing you can find all over the horror sphere. Um, I got this. He has a posted a picture, too, of this thing called Monster Face. It's kind of like Mr. Potato Head, but an evil clown monster. So um, 
I will post this on our feed as well. It is fucked up. Um, I got this wonderful, gruesome, child-hating monstrosity for Christmas when I was four. The only place for it in my room was up on a shelf by the window. When there was a thunderstorm, I would see it staring at me, backlit by lightning, grinning that terrible grin. Oh, man. And it is pure nightmare fuel. Like when you see this thing, I I think I might try to track one of these down for my daughter and just not tell her that I am and set it up by her bedside. So, all right. From our friends over at Friday the 13th, at Friday 13, um, this is the Friday, the Friday the 13th horror podcast. Scariest Hall was definitely either my Teddy Ruxpin or because of Child's Play, the My Buddy Doll. Co-host Andrew went by Andy when he was a kid and that hit way too close to home. <laughs> so what the hell? Teddy Ruxpin was creepy. And you mentioned that doll earlier, Nicole. Like, yeah. Yeah. No, and the My Buddy doll that is kind of the I guess the basis mm-hmm. for Chucky um, my cousin that I grew up with uh, he was a year younger than I was and I would stay over at their house all the time like on weekends and um, he was kind of my when I was little he would be like my scary movie watching buddy mm-hmm. and I remember he had a my buddy doll and we watched child's play and then I had to stay, like, he, um, I think, like, the following weekend, he'd gone somewhere, and my aunt was babysitting me. And so I was at their house, and she's like, just stay in his room. And he had his My Buddy doll right across from the bed. Mm-hmm. So it just stared at me the entire night. Mm, and Not oh, good. No. It was not. It was bad. And to me, I think, again, it's that uncanny valley, the issue with the dolls that we talked about. And that, especially knowing, like, this doll could come to life at any point Mm -hmm. and do some damage. Because I was a kid, and I'm like, I don't know if I could take it in a knife fight. In a knife fight. Like, I'm new to this. And so it would, yeah, the My Buddy doll, I think, is a slept on uh horrific toy Mm -hmm. yeah we yeah we didn't mention this is gonna be a homework assignment for everybody um the basis of like all scary dolls is robert the doll Mm -hmm. so we're not gonna get into it Mm. but uh, okay that's a fun well, you know what we have anyone. we have two more conjuring annabelle movies to do so we can do that no problem we'll save that all right from Maggie Esta, I had a replica of the Charlie McCarthy ventriloquist dummy. Nope. He looked at me the wrong way one day, so my cousins and I wrapped him in chains and threw him in the basement. Smart. Now, does that mean that Maggie, at Maggie Esta with an underscore after the A at the end, did you wrap the doll in chains or did you wrap your cousin in chains Good, important and throw question. him in the bit? This is important. We need to know. We need clarification. We need clarification <laughs> And one comment from our Facebook group, Pod and the Pendulum. Uh, go to Facebook.com, Pod and the Pendulum. Uh, from Sue Shippers. Honestly, I don't find dolls scary. However, I love horror movies with killer dolls. Annabelle is a boring doll to me. She just kind of turns her head. I want to see her get up and kill people. Well, Sue, you don't you know, you don't always get what you want. That's life. 
I'm sure you're an adult. You know this lesson. Like we do not always get. Life is pain, basically. <laughs> and if that's one thing that the Annabelle movies can teach you and anyone that watches them, the overarching theme is life is pain. So, yeah, there you go. Speaking of pain, Lindsay, you got your second shot today. Yeah, I'm in a lot. So of we're gonna pain. we're gonna so wrap up here in a moment. So, <laughs> yeah. Nicole, yes, tell us about Bodies of Horror. So, Bodies of Horror is a podcast that looks at uh, horror films through the lens of disability, primarily physical and intellectual and developmental disabilities. Um, so, yeah, we look at films that mm-hmm. have characters with uh, various disabilities or films that kind of hit on uh, various themes Mm -hmm. and kind of take them apart and talk about them. What would you say is the biggest, maybe, I don't know if misconception is the right word, but Mm -hmm. like maybe the kind of like, what would you say if, is there anything that horror movies fundamentally get right or wrong about their portrayal? And I, I know horror is not a monolith, but is there like a trope that you're like, no, that's really inaccurate and we need to do a better job of like representing it on screen? Um, I think, and it's not just horror. I think it's, uh, you see it in a lot of films, but what I like to call the gentle giant mm-hmm. trope, uh, as it applies to uh, characters with intellectual or developmental disabilities. Mm-hmm. Where it's, you know, oh, they were just, you know, they're so big, they don't know their own strength, mm-hmm. they don't have the impulse control, and so they end up hurting someone. Um, and that has, I think, a lot, you know, it's one thing to have characters with disabilities that are inherently evil because we, um, you know, we're pissed off that we're disabled and we mm-hmm. want other people to um, suffer like we do, even though being disabled isn't suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that the, that trope I think has such um, a really bad, bad implication in mm-hmm. terms of how it's uh, impacted um, a lot of folks. And so I would say that that is something that, you know, when you, um, you know, a lot of films kind of get into that uh, stereotype, that trope, and it's, mm-hmm. that's my least. Yeah. Uh, it's the one I, I have the least uh, ability to be like, sure. oh, let's just shrug it off. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Excellent. Yeah. For those who haven't listened, Nicole's podcast is great. It's excellent. It's excellent. <laughs> um, I said this, I think when you came up, when you asked a question, maybe for one of our episodes where I like told the anecdote of when uh, we were, and not that this is like all of the pitches we received for the podcast network were so great, but I do remember going through them and hearing Nicole's and it was like the quickest unanimous yes from the group mm-hmm. um, that we were like, <gasps> So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, all of the pods on the network are super yeah. great. And that's not to say any are, yeah. you know, superior. I just remember that moment of all of us listening to it and being like, this is, yeah. it. this is like, this is what we want on this network because Nicole brings right. a really cool, just a really great perspective and um, a really great, I just love like your, your manner of um, discussing and your knowledge base and the way you apply things. I just think it comes off really great. 
Yeah. I really like your podcast. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's part of the Anatomy of a Scream pod squad. And it is chocked full of wonderful shows, new shows being added to the feed on the reg, especially right now. Um, some yeah. really cool stuff popping up. So, uh, yeah, I am on there, but there are lots of other shows. Um, so there's really, I think, uh, something for everyone. It's got a lot of uh, diverse perspectives, which is um, really amazing. And where can our listeners find you or the show if they want to follow for news or information or just want to chat? Uh, you can find me on the Twitters, where basically... I, I'm one of those people that I try to steer clear of discourse with the capital D mm-hmm. um, because there's, I'm, uh, no, I can't, I don't have the capacity for it a lot of time, but I will often just post like, here's a cool thing I'm watching. Or if something tickles me, I'll be like, LOL, here's my addition to it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I am Nicole in DC on Twitter. So say hello. So Nicole with an H, right? Yes, with an H. Yes. Well, thank you for joining us again. I know we're going to have you back on in the near future. Um, I think you and I have talked like you want to come on for the first Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Like you basically said, when you guys do that, like, you know, you're having me on. You even ask, you're like having me on. We definitely may fight over – because that's one of your – Love that episode. It is a fascinating listen. We may, you may be like, I am not your friend anymore, Mike, after that episode. Oh, yeah. So, I'm re- I, all of the words for, for my, my yeah. Boy. Someone's gotta. Mm-hmm. Someone's gotta. So it'll be a hot, yeah. It'll be, maybe we'll do that one live in person and then you can just like hit me. <laughs> at that point so but um all right Lindsay, where can our friends find you and is there anything you want to have um yeah you can find me on twitter and instagram uh linktree and uh, i think that's it at smash travis s-m-a-s-h-t-r-a-v-e-s uh, I'll be there. I'm working on kind of same old few reviews here and there. Um, I on this Friday, I'm back on the King cast so you can catch me. Uh, if you are a patron, you can catch me doing mm-hmm. um, a live litigation of the uh, remaining members of the family against the Overlook Hotel. Um, mm. My first plaintiff case. What a blast. Um, and yeah, I got a couple of reviews coming out, uh, tonight. So by the time you hear this, it will be live mm-hmm. review of werewolves within, which I'm excited to share with mm-hmm. you all and a few others, some bat bullshit coming up. So stay tuned. Excellent. For okay. And this is going to be a simple yes or no. Batman. Does he go down in Catwoman? Yes, yeah. of course. First of all, if you want to hear everything I have to say, I never talk about like there are a couple things I like never talk about. And one of them like just it just like doesn't come up and it's just like not part of my whatever mm-hmm. uh, podcast or writing persona, mm-hmm. whatever you want to say. I never talk about sex on anything. Mm-hmm. And uh, our entire episode of Horror Queers of Batman Mask of the Phantasm mm-hmm. just ended up like all being about sex. Okay. <laughs> so um, if you want to hear my thoughts on Batman and Joker and uh 
Yeah. I'm trying to think of like a, a, another word for sex um, and for boning. Um, you can check that out on the horror queers. Um, but yeah, I think that uh, of course he does because heroes do. Right. And um, there's some cool fan art on Twitter. Excellent. I mean, like. just looking at the design of the call, I would say it's a given that he does. I absolutely it's think that he does. Yeah. That's the only I love. Yeah. And that um, I definitely unfollowed some people because they went way, they got way too serious about it. Like, like you've waited, like they've waited for that moment. Like they were waited moment. for this, like, like put me in coach. I'm mm-hmm. ready to play. All right. Yeah. You, yeah. you can find me at Mike underscore Snoonian over on Twitter. You can also listen to my other show, Psychoanalysis, a horror therapy podcast with uh, Jen Undersall and uh, nope, that's not right. <laughs> with Jen Ferratu and Laura Undersall, uh, where we cover horror through the lens of mental health. And I just want to say quick shout out to Jonathan Barkin, uh, BJ Colangelo, and the number of others that um, they just announced the uh, launch of their project, like that is going to look at the ways that horror and mental health intersect. They'll be doing a documentary on that. I am so excited for them. <laughs> Listeners, thank you so much. Please rate, go ahead, subscribe to us, rate and review us. Five star ratings, people. Three star ratings. Like that made me laugh. It absolutely made me laugh. But I'm like, you're not helping me, brother. You know, whoever you are, you're not helping me. So help me God, you I will find. Uh, you know, and we'll have a talk, friendly talk. But thank you so much. Um, we will be back in a couple weeks with The Conjuring 2. I will try for the fifth time to get all the way through it. We'll see how it goes in two weeks. Take care. <laughs>